Well, turning your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21, we're continuing, of course, our study of the book of Revelation, and we are seeing end times, and we, this is amazing. We have been going through the book. We started with John on the island of Patmos, and he sees Jesus, and then Jesus tells him to write the seven letters, and he wrote the letters. Then he was taken up into heaven, and he saw the throne of God and all of that, and then he saw from basically chapter 6 all the way through 19, we saw the, the, the tribulation time period and the judgments, the seven uh, trumpet judgments, and and, you know, the bold judgments and all those different things. And then all of a sudden last week we started, the last couple of weeks we started seeing uh, the kingdom time where Jesus comes back and sets up the kingdom, rules for a thousand years and we saw Satan bound and we saw the beast and the false prophet cast into the lake of fire and then we saw the end of the thousand years and the what they call the great white throne judgment. We saw that last week and unbelievers were, were cast away. So as we move into chapter 21 and 22 we're seeing what we got call the eternal state. And so I want to raise some questions. And because we say, this is us, this is for us. So what will it be like when we're with Jesus forever? And where will we be? And what will we do? And we realize that this is called, God makes a new heaven, a new earth. We call this the eternal state. A lot of people will say, what's it going to be like when you go to heaven? But the truth is, we're going to be on a new earth. And so it's not like being in heaven. It's a new heaven and a new earth. And so it's probably better to call it the eternal state, where we're going to be with Jesus forever. God will be with his people. And as we study, we understand that there was the thousand-year reign of Christ. It's already come. God has raised all the unbelievers. They've stood before the great white throne judgment. Satan has been cast to the lake of fire. All of those things have happened. And now we've moved into the place where it's us forever with Jesus Christ. So what's it going to be like? What will, it be, what, was, what, what will we do? What will it be like being believers with Jesus forever? So as we look at that, we'll look at chapters 21 and 22. It'll take us about four or five more lessons uh, to go through the book of Revelation. Uh, I read something. Uh, I, actually, I saw this cartoon, and they asked Dennis the Menace, what, what, what did he think heaven would be like? And he said, well, it looks like a toy shop and sounds like a carousel, but it smells like a bakery. And that's, that was his view of what in the world would this eternal thing be like, be heaven. What do you picture when you think of eternity and being with Jesus Christ? We can all say, okay, I can think of a kingdom on this earth for a thousand years, Jesus in Jerusalem, maybe we're in Oklahoma, who knows what it's going to be like, what the land will look like, and those kind of things. I can picture that, but what's it going to be like when God makes a new heavens and a new earth? What will it be like? Well, when you think about it, heaven or this eternal thing has been described as a place with pearly gates and streets of gold, a place where there will be no sadness or sorrow, a place to be with Jesus forever. And I think when we go through this, I think you're going to be amazed at what we see. We won't get into the actual description of the, the basically what we'd call the New Jerusalem. We'll see that in just a minute. But we'll, we'll begin to see some things. So in chapters 21 and 22, we get the, the final. And this is sort of what we've been waiting for all this time. We've gone through it. We saw the tribulation. We knew we we're not going to be in the tribulation, but we've seen it all on the earth. We've seen Jesus come back. We've seen the millennial kingdom, seen the great white throne judgment. And now we're going in into the eternal state. What's it going to be like? What are we going to do? Well, I've got an outline for you, and, and this, we're actually going to go through the first nine verses, but anyway, the new heaven and the new earth, the old has passed away, there's a new Jerusalem, Christ is on the throne, there's going to be a separation, we'll talk about that, and then in the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll actually see a description of the new Jerusalem. What I'm going to do next week is a little bit different. I'm going to take chapters 21 and 22 and put them together, and we're going to look at next week what's not in the, the eternal state and what is in the eternal state. Then we'll come back and go verse by verse all the way through the rest of the way. And this is all, this is all just chapter 
21. You still got chapter 22 to look at as well. Uh, chapter 21, we'll see the holy city, the gates, the foundations, size of the city, all those kind of things. So uh, we'll see how it all ties together. So let's look at it. And, and remember, John is writing this. He, he was on the, isle, on the island of Patmos because he stood for Jesus Christ. This is near, this is modern day Turkey. And they cast him off onto this little island, which was like a prison. And he was there. And while he was there, and they cast him there because he stood for Jesus Christ. They cast him there and he got this final vision, this final revelation. And he's seen it all and he's gone through it and he's seen the tribulation. He's seen the, 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 the you know, the judgments and he's seen everything. And now, Watch what he sees, and he's talking, and he says this in chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. So this is what he sees. And so this is John, and he's, and he's writing this down for us. And what does he see? There are three things John sees. I want you to realize, first of all, in Revelation 21.1, he sees a new heaven and earth. In Revelation 21.2, he sees the holy city. It's called New Jerusalem. And then in verse 22, one of the things I want you to bring out, he saw that there was no temple. Now, there's been a temple almost. There had been a temple or a dwelling place, uh, you know, like that all the way up. But all of a sudden, he looks, and in fact, it actually says in Revelation 21, 22, I saw no temple for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. So we're going to see how that fits together later on when we go through this part. So he sees, and notice how it starts, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, we'll come back and talk about that in just a second. So he saw that. Listen, the old has passed away. It's a new place to exist. Had, had anybody ever uh, talked about a new heaven and a new earth? Yes. The book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah said this. Look what he said. For hold, this is God speaking, but it's Isaiah written it down in 65 verse 17. And he said that this, God says, For behold, I create new heavens and new earth. And the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. So in the Bible, there was, there was information about the new heavens and new earth. Now, there was information about the kingdom. It was never told until the book of Revelation that the kingdom would be a thousand years. But there's also information about the new heaven and the new earth. And what's it going to be like? And it's a new place to exist. Now, I want you to notice something that says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, that's a special word. There are two Greek words for new. There's a Greek word that's new that means new in, as far as from, from time. Like, that was an old one because that was last week, and this is a new one. But then there's another Greek word for time, which means new in the sense that it is better. This is the word that's used. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And we'd say it this way. I saw a new, better heaven and a new, better earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And so he's writing, and he says, I saw something that was better than anything I've ever seen. Now, we live in a great world, right? I mean, you've, it's a fallen world, but there's sunsets and flowers and beautiful stuff all around us. And we go, wow, it is so beautiful. But John says, I saw something that was better than the heavens I've ever seen and better than the earth that I've ever seen. It's better. It's new. It's new and better is what he saw. And we want to raise a question is why? Why did the old heaven and earth pass away? Why did God have to get rid of this heaven and this earth? It's because it was polluted. 
Think about this. The earth was polluted. We know that when, when Satan came to the garden and mankind sinned. And when mankind sinned, the whole world became polluted. Man fell, became sinful. And God cursed the earth with the, the thorns and thistles and everything else. But the heavens are polluted. You may not realize that. But Satan was in the heavenly places with Jesus Christ guarding the throne, and he decided he would be God, and God had to remove him, and so there was sin and pollution in the heavens. And so God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and, and because it was polluted because of what happened there. And, and let me just remind you, that our earth has been cursed. Look at Romans chapter 8, says, for, this, for the creation was subject to futility. It was cursed, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. God did it in hope that the creation itself also one day will be set free from its slavery to corruption into a freedom of the glory of the children of God. It's going to be changed. For we know that right now the whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth together until now. This earth is suffering. It's a fallen world. There's sickness and death and disease and everything else that you can name. Even in a beautiful world, it's a fallen world. And it's corrupted and it's cursed. And God is going to make a brand new place. And not only new as far as time, but new as far as quality. It's just going to be so much better. When is all this? How does it all fit? If you remember, we said Jesus came the first time to die and we're in the church age. Rapture is going to happen. We're going to be taken off the face of the earth. After that, there'll be that tribulation. That's Revelation chapter 6 through 19. Then we saw Jesus come as the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He ruled for a thousand years. We saw last week the great white throne judgment and the books are open and the book of life is open and whoever's names weren't found in the book of life cast in the lake of fire. And then we move into eternity. And this is chapters 21 and 22, and this is a new heaven and a new earth. And, and, and he's going to make a new one. Uh, when is it going to happen? Some have said that maybe this new heaven and new earth hap happened in the kingdom. It doesn't because we already looked at the kingdom in which there'll be sin and death and sorrow during the kingdom. What's going to happen to this world? Well, we see Jesus destroys the old heavens and the earth. Second Peter 3.10 says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. This whole heaven and earth are going to be burned up. You know, there was a flood. I had people used to say, uh, the world was destroyed by a flood. One time it's going to be destroyed by a fire the second time. It wasn't destroyed by the flood. Uh, a lot of people died in the flood. In fact, everybody but eight people. But that didn't destroy the world. But this is going to destroy the world. It's going to burn up. Look at this right here. Look for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. Not only the earth is going to be burned up, the heavens will be burned up. And then look what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So there's going to come a time when this whole world will be destroyed, it'll be burned up. That's what's going to happen. Now, notice the verse again. It says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, a new, a new better, not only in time, but better, and a new earth. The first ones had already passed away. He doesn't say it, but they are burned up. And, and one of the things, just to think about this, what's going to happen to us? We're on this earth at the end, and he get, uh, is he, uh, I think he's going to somehow pull us off this earth, burn it up, have the new heavens and new earth. Or he may already have, make the new heaven and new earth, put us on that, then burn up the earth. We don't, I don't know. We don't know. He didn't tell us. We just know that it's going to be destroyed. I saw this new heaven and new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And then he says something, and there's no longer any sea. 
And we go, no longer NEC. That's kind of a, a big change because three-fourths of, the, of this earth is water and it's sea. It'll be different. And why, why, why? By the way, let me just throw this up real quickly. There will be water because there is a river of the water of life which comes from the throne of God. So there's going to be water. Look at this verse right here. He showed me a river of the water of life clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and the Lamb. So in the eternal state, there's going to be water. There's not going to be sea. Now in a Jewish mind, I just want you to understand this from the writings and everything you can find, they looked at the ocean and the sea as a place of turmoil because it was sort of unknown to them and they didn't know what was in there and what was going on. And so that could be a reason why there's not going to be you might say oceans or seas, but there's, there'll be water because there's the water of life. So what are we seeing? A new heaven and a new earth. The old ones are gone. What we have right here will be changed, gone, and it's going to be more beautiful than we could have imagined. It's going to be so much better than this world. So watch what he sees. There's something else. Verse 2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of, the, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. He sees a city, a city coming down. It's called the New Jerusalem. Now, let me tell you, uh, when you look at the passage, it says that he looked and he saw this big old city coming down out of heaven to the earth. And it, it actually never says that it comes to the earth, that it lands on the earth. Now, I think it probably does. There's some people who actually say, maybe this city is suspended above the earth and that we live in the city and we can go back and forth or whatever. I think it probably comes down. He just sees it coming down to the earth. He sees the new earth and he sees a city. And, and it's, look what he calls it. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's the holy city. By the way, Jerusalem used to be known as, as Salem, and, which means peace, and then it became known as Jerusalem, 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 which means Jehovah's peace or God's peace. This was the capital uh, when David came. He made that the capital. It's been the capital of Israel forever. Jesus Christ in the kingdom is going to rule there. He's going to rule from Jerusalem. As you remember, David will be under that. The 12 apostles will be under that. Well, the whole world. But Jesus is going to rule from Jerusalem, and we call it Old Jerusalem. And all of a sudden... When the, everything is destroyed and he makes a new heavens and a new earth, there's a new Jerusalem, this big old city. It's coming down out of heaven from God. And John sees it. He sees it and he says, whoa. And notice it says, I saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. What does it look like? Well, we're going to see. We're going to see, starting about verse 10 of Revelation 21, we're going to start seeing the description of this. Now, this is a really big city, okay? I want you to see something. This is, we'll see this uh, in a couple of weeks, Revelation 21, 16. The city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as its width. And he measured the city with rods 1,500 miles. Its length, its width... And its height are equal. Now, do you understand that there's going to be a city on a new earth that's 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles high? Now, there's two views, and I'm going to show you a, a drawing in the next couple of weeks, that some people think it's a big cube. And some say it's like 1,500, 1,500, and then it goes up like a pyramid, 1,500. 
We don't know, but it's so gigantic. Do you think people can fit into that? I mean, think how big that is. We'll talk about dimensions, but it's like the city is from L.A. to, to the end of Texas, okay? That's just the length of the city. And then there's the width of the city. And then there's the height of the city. Would you want one of the top floors? Think about it. Think, I mean, you, you're going to live in this city. Think about it. This is amazing. And the dimensions, is fit, and it says, as a bride adorned for her husband, meaning that it's a picture of, here's the place that God has prepared for the bride or for the, the husband, for the wife. And by the way, you're thinking about, how does that fit? Well, just, I want you to understand that in the Old Testament, Israel was called the wife of Jehovah, and in the New Testament, the church is called the bride of Christ. And so it's basically, this is prepared for us. This is an amazing city. Now, is the first time, is this the first time anybody's ever thought that we might live in a city? No, it's not. Do you remember when God picked Abraham and told Abraham, I want you to go to a land that I will show you, and I will give you this land and all of this and things and this. And Abraham was there, and Abraham never possessed the land. It was his land. God gave it to him, but he never possessed it. But he wandered around, living, as the Bible says, in tents, because he was looking for a city. I want you to notice this is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9 and 10. By faith, he, Abraham, lived as an alien in the land of promise. It's his land, but he lived as a stranger. As in a foreign land. It wasn't a foreign land. It was his land, but he lived as a foreigner. Dwelling in tents, same with Isaac and Jacob. Fellow heirs of the same promise, but watch. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. This is the city. This is the city. This is the city Abraham looked for. This is the city you, you should be looking for. Do you remember what Jesus told in John chapter 14? Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many what? Rooms. If it wasn't that way, I told you. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And when I get it ready, I'm going to come back. You know what the place is? It's the city. This is what he's gone to prepare. John 14, Jesus goes to prepare a place for us. So there's views that some people say that this city probably came down even in the kingdom. I don't think so. I don't see we see any of that. But I do see a new heaven, a new earth, and then the city comes down. So this is going to be amazing. So you're going to live in a really big apartment complex. I mean, it's going to be huge, right? I mean, think about it. And, and it's going to be amazing. And we're going to love it. And watch what he goes on to say, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold... The tabernacle of God is among the people, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. He hears this voice coming, from, and, and, and it's not God, because he's talking about God. If it was God, God would say, and I will do this, but it says, and he will do this. So it's probably some angel, and he says, behold, I heard this voice, behold, the tabernacle of God. The word tabernacle means a dwelling place. Almost in the idea of a temporary dwelling place, a dwelling place of God. It says that God is going to dwell with his people. Guess who's going to be in the city with us? God, there's a throne, by the way. There's the city, and there's going to be a throne, and sitting on that throne is God the Father and Jesus Christ. And there's going to be a river coming from that throne, which is the river of life. And there are going to be trees along the side of the river, and they're going to be called the trees of life, or the tree of life. We're going to see that in, uh, in the come. So go ahead and read chapters 21 and 22 so you can get the idea of what it's going to be like. God is going to be with us. 
And we know that right now Jesus Christ lives in us. We know the Holy Spirit lives in us. We even know the Father lives in us. But it's not going to be the same because in the same, we're going to actually see most likely Jesus Christ all the time. Anytime we want to. He's going to be dwelling with us. It's really, really powerful. If you thought that, that, that God has always dwelled among the people in the garden, he was with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. He walked with, God, with Enoch. He was at the burning bush with Moses. He's the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament, that light that shined. He was the tabernacle in the Old Testament. He was the temple. He is the, 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 the son. Jesus Christ was on the earth dwelling. Holy Spirit dwells with us. And the kingdom temple, Jesus will be there. Now, when we get to this place, there's not going to be a temple. As remember where I read a while ago, I saw no temple in it for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb of the temple. He's going to be with us. Watch this next verse because you will love it. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Listen, when, when all this happens, we're going to be with Jesus Christ there are not going to be any sadness or sorrow or death or crying or mourning. It won't be. The truth, death has been conquered. All have been raised to live forever with Jesus Christ. It's going to be gone. Now, let me tell you something. We, we're going to be in the kingdom. In the kingdom with him, we're going to see people die. We're going to see people reject Jesus Christ. We're going to see the final battle. If we're at the great white throne judgment, and I don't know whether we'll be there or not, but if we are, we will see people maybe we know and love who are not in the book of life, and they'll be cast in the lake of fire. And we will be very sad. But when you get to the new heavens and the new earth, he's going to wipe it all away. And we will not be sad. We will not be crying. There'll be no mourning. There'll be no death. It'll be, we'll be Okay, from that point on. That's the bottom line of it. In this, in this eternal state, there'll be nothing to make us sad, to cry, to mourn, or to suffer death. We know that every one of us in this room have something we could cry about right now and something we could mourn about right now. There are hurts and sadness and sorrow in every life. But one day, it'll be gone. And when we're with Jesus Christ forever, there won't be any sadness or crying or mourning or death. It's going to be amazing. And so look what he says in verse 5. He, this is, and he who sits on the throne, get, who is that? That's either the Father or the Son. He who sits on the throne, behold, I'm making all things new. I think it's Jesus talking. He says, behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, right for these words are faithful and true. So he says, he's sitting on the throne, and he says, I'm going to make all things new. And once again, this is the Greek word for new that's better. Not just new in time, like I had an old ball, now I got a new ball. No, no. This ball is not only new in the sense that it's, that it's earlier, uh, you know, later, I mean, but it's better. He says, I'm making all things what? Better than it's ever been. And we, we can't, listen, y'all, I'm going to tell you, we can't grasp this. We can read it and we can say, okay, but one of these days we're going to be going like this and we're going to go, this is, uh, I, I can't even describe it. It's going to be so amazing. Look what he says. He says, write. He says, John, be sure and write this down. This is the book that he's been writing. Write for these words are faithful and true. It is so right. God is always faithful. He's always faithful to do exactly what he says. It's always true. Thy word is truth. He's always faithful and true. And so everything we've ever seen in the scripture and everything we're ever seeing in the book of Revelation is exactly right and true. And he says, John, write it down. Wow. 
And then he says, he speaks to John. God tells John something. Watch. He, he said to me, I, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give water to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. Now let's go back. I want you to see the first part of the verse before we get to the second part. He said to me, it is done. By the way, it means it is what? Finished. You ever heard that before? When Jesus died on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. It's the same thing. Listen, there's a Greek word called telestai. It literally means it is done. It is paid for. It is finished. If you owed somebody money in that century and you said, here's the $40 I owe you, he'd give you your receipt and he'd write at the bottom, telestai, it is finished. It's done. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is done. The payment has been made. When Jesus talks to John, he says, it's all done. It is finished. It is done. And then he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So it's done. It's done. Man and God can dwell together. There's no more sin. It's all been paid for. There's no more rebellion. He's removed. They've been removed to the lake of fire. He's the Alpha, the beginning, the Omega. You, most everybody knows the Greek alphabet that begins with Alpha and ends with Omega. He's saying, I'm the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That's who he is. He's everything. He's eternal. Psalm 90. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's always existed and always will. And here he is, and he tells John, I'm the beginning and the end. I'm all of it, the Alpha and the Omega. There's a pastor, a Scottish preacher years ago, and he wrote this. I thought it was really good. His name was Clarence McCarthy. And he said this. He said, Christ is the Alpha and the Omega of the believers. He is everything. Watch. His word is the rule. That's what we live by. His life is the example. His death on the cross is our salvation. His presence is our joy. His smile is our reward. And to be with him is our eternal hope. Do you look forward to the day that you'll be with Jesus Christ and you'll be in this? Let me tell you, when you get older, the older you get, the more likely you're looking forward to it. You're saying, man, I wish it would happen now. Everything's wearing out. You know, when you're younger, you sometimes say, hey, you know, I want to get married, I want to have kids, I want to do this. Listen, when you get older, you say, come Lord Jesus, come on, right? And, and, and the bottom line is he could come at any second. And if he comes any second, we're taking off, then there's tribulation, then there's the kingdom, and then there's this. And sometimes, and I have to say, when I was younger, I, 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 I kept saying, well, I, know, I want Jesus to come, but I'd rather maybe meet Gene someday and get married and have kids and have fun. That way, you know, that, that would be great. But uh, in a sense, I, I didn't know what I'm going to be missing. We, don't, we look at this world and we say, we love this world. But this is so much better and so much different that we can't even comprehend how great it really is. How great it really is. Well, I'm going to have to go quickly to finish this up this morning. But I want you to notice that what he's going to do, he's going to give three promises. Two for believers and one for unbelievers. Okay, we're going to see them. So here's the believers. There's two aspects. One promise is the thirst and the grace and the gift. Okay, and the other is the overcomer dealing with rewards. Let me show you what I mean. And here's the first one. I will give the water to the one who thirsts, the water of life. Look in the middle. It says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give water to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life. And how, how do you get it? Without cost. It's a gift. 
How do you get the water of life? It's God's grace. It's salvation is always a gift. The water of life is without cost. Just think about that. It is eternal life. What does it cost you to have eternal life? Absolutely nothing. Jesus died and rose again. He paid for it all. He offers you a gift. The gift costs you nothing because if it costs you something, it wouldn't be a gift. You get the gift of eternal life simply by faith. And that's what he says. Whoever wants the water of life, I'll give it to you freely. That's what he's going to do. That's his promise. Salvation is a gift. It is without cost. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Galatians 2, 16, We're not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 4, 5, The person who does not work, but believes, his faith is counted for righteousness. All the way through the Bible. It's always, always, always a gift. So his first promise is you're going to get a gift of water. Whoever wants the water can get it without cost. There's a second thing. The second promise is the overcomer. The overcomer gets the inheritance. Let me read it to you. Look what he says in verse 7. The one who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now, this is not salvation. This is an overcomer. In the book, I think I've got this right here. Yeah, in Revelation, an overcomer is the one who is faithful. And we all know that in the kingdom and in the eternal state, we're not going to all be the same. When you stand before Jesus Christ, you're going to be rewarded based on your faithfulness. And he want, we want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. But not everybody's the same. And when you get to the kingdom, there are going to be different areas of responsibility. And when you get into the eternal state, there will be different areas of responsibility. The water of life costs you nothing but to be an overcomer. You've got to be an overcomer. And look what he says. And this may shock you, but he says... Uh, the one who overcomes will inherit these things. I will be his God and he will be my son. Now, I'm going to tell you something, and we're going to study it sometime. We don't have time to do it now. There is a difference between being a child of God and a son of God. And an overcomer is a son of God. We'll talk about it some other time, but I just want you to see the difference. So the, the, so the one who thirsts gets the water of life, it's free. The one who overcomer gets the rewards. But there's a third promise, and it's 21 verse 8, and that is unbelievers will be in the lake of fire. And he goes on to say, but for the cowardly and unbelie unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexual immoral persons, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, their part will be the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second Death. We've already seen it, and that's the promise. The, the, the believer uh, gets eternal life, the overcomer gets rewards, and the unbeliever is separated. So think about it. Believer gets eternal life. It's a gift. How do you have eternal life? By what you did? No, you, you believed in Christ for the eternal life. He gave you the gift of eternal life. It's not your works, your goodness, or your faithfulness in any way, shape, or form. By the grace of God, you are saved and saved forever. You've got eternal life. But as a believer, if you're an overcomer, if you live righteously and godly, you seek your life to count for Christ, and when you stand before him, he says, well done, good and faithful servant, there'll be rewards for you. And then for the unbeliever, the one who doesn't believe, they'll be separated forever. It's so sad. So sad. Salvation is a gift, comes by faith, separation, those who reject. So three promises. Living water, that's eternal life without cost. That's to the believer, inheritance, overcomer. That's the faithful believer, separation, second death to the unbeliever. Because of time, I'm going to go quickly on the applications, but this... Oh, by the way, this is what we're going to look at next week. What is not in the eternal state? What is in the eternal state? Because we hadn't got the description yet. All we've seen is the city. All we've seen is the size. What's it going to be like? What's going to be there? What's not going to be there? So let me give you the applications. First of all, understand that God makes all 
things new. There's going to be new heaven, new earth, new bodies, new reward, new, new everything. It's just going to be a change that is coming, and it's not only new, but it's better than anything we've ever seen. So one day we'll see a new world, a new heaven, earth, city, and people. God makes all things new. Number two, let's understand that we will be with Jesus forever in the new Jerusalem. That's why it's called eternal life. That's why I want you to understand that God's offer is to give you life, eternal life. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We're supposed to be separated. Jesus came and take, took our place. He's done it all. He's made it possible that we could take a gift by faith, and the gift is eternal life. We will un- be with Jesus Christ forever. The third thing is let's understand, let's know that God's promises are true. To the believer, eternal life, the gift, that's truth, that's the water of life with no cost. The one who overcomes, that's also a believer, but the overcomer gets the rewards, the inheritance based on faithfulness. And the unbeliever, there'll be separation to those who reject. Look at this verse. He who believes is not judged, but he that believes not has been judged already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Believers, eternal life. Unbelievers, second death. It's all the way through the Scripture, even in the, this the perfect state here, the new heaven and the new earth.